Now for our sermon this afternoon, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Matt Steele. It is entitled, Begging to be Born. Thank you, Sean. <clears throat> good afternoon, everybody. Good to see everyone and visitors and faces that maybe we haven't seen for a little while. It's, uh, it's really good that we're here. I was enjoying just listening. I, I, last two verses of that hymn, I just kind of just paused and listened to the voices singing. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing when we praise God together and dwell together in unity. It's just very moving. I think uh, my message today is uh, probably in some ways part two to what Art was talking about. Um, and it's always interesting how that happens, isn't it? That, uh, the moving of the Holy Spirit and hopefully if us as speakers are open to the Holy Spirit and we are led uh, to, to sometimes connect the Word of God in ways that we weren't expecting. You know, if we look at the world today, if we're honest with ourselves, even the most hopeful of us, even the most glasses half full kind of people, right? Anybody of those in here? Oh, we've got one. <laughs> that explains a lot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but even when we are at our most hopeful and positive about the world, we have to admit that civilization on this planet is not advancing. Civilization is not advancing. Now, some smart people might say, well, we've, we've always had this sort of thing, haven't we? We've always had rise and falls of civilizations. And that's true. We've seen countless civilizations all across the world, in different parts of the world. And of course, being you know, from where I'm from, I'm not familiar as much with maybe uh, you know, the, the civilizations in Asia and, and other parts of South America and all the great civilizations of man that there have been in history. But just looking at it from maybe a Western standpoint, think about where we've come from. And maybe from a biblical standpoint, we had the great civilization of Babylon, didn't we? You know this, now we're not necessarily saying it's great as in they were all that good. <laughs> But they were a powerful, influential civilization. But they rose, and they fell, and then they were replaced uh, by the Medes and the Persians. <clears throat> and, and then the Medes and the Persians declined, and it gave way to the Greco-Macedonian, the Greek Macedonian Empire, who in turn declined as the power of Rome. That's the one that we probably know the most, isn't it? The power of Rome rose to the world stage. And then, over time, it was divided and it broke up. And, it, and then, at least in the Western world, Western Europe, you had many nations trying to reclaim the civilization that was Rome. And, of course, being a little bit biased, only a little, I would say that Rome was then reborn in the British Empire. Right, with its power and reach. And it's interesting how these empires, as they handed off from one another, grew in power and reach and region of the world. And, and of course, the British Empire was the, the empire upon which the sun never set. Right? 
Well, it did set on the British Empire, just like every other empire that went before as the United States rose to power. And here we are. And lots of times we find ourselves thinking, who's going to come after us? Because if we've learned that, that lesson from history, we know that our civilization will not endure forever. And we certainly would like the idea that the next civilization is the kingdom of God, isn't it? But that may not be the case. And so we wonder who will take the place of the United States. With each successive change from civilization to civilization, there was destruction, there was maybe war, and then there was creation and, and new innovations and in science and technology and weapons and all kinds of interesting growth. But from one civilization to another, the, the morals or the law, the legal system of, of one civilization gave way to the, the next one. And this changes over time. The culture of the former civilization gives way to the culture of the new. Time after time, these changes come in waves in history. But for most of us, what I've just referred to in just a few minutes there is ancient history, isn't it? And maybe, you know, you're not as a history buff. I'm a bit of a history buff, so I like to talk about these things. I apologize. But... Nonetheless, most of that is ancient history. Within our lifetime, however, we are seeing some very rapid changes. Rapid changes in civilization. And certainly within the lifetime of our parents, depending on how old we are, and our grandparents that may still be around, we can glean a lot of changes in civilization. So not all of it is ancient history. But in that ancient history, we see through a glass darkly, don't we, as Paul, as Paul has coined that phrase. In those history books, we read it with bias. And it's got some errors. But in our civilization, in our lifetime, we re-engineer our own history and add new bias and new errors and new information and new perspective. And yet, that seems to be something that is done from one civilization to the next. And it's a very unusual time we find ourselves in, where we are destroying our own history. As ugly as it is, as imperfect as it is, we have to accept that it is our history. Otherwise, as they say, we are doomed to repeat it. And so we have these changes, rapid in our culture, in our economy, in our lifetime. And in that change, can we see, we can see, can't we, that it is not changing for the better. We're not making a better world. You know, in this, um, and I'm going to probably be as strong as I can be safely, but in this so-called global pandemic, and I say so-called because I do not believe that the evidence is really there, but we have now accelerated changes around the world that we could barely imagine 12 months ago. I mean, just think about it 12 months ago. 
we told ourselves then what we would have to do now. You're out of your mind, self, we'd be saying. And yet, here we are. So we've had these monumental changes. And I haven't, you know, seen before, and I think we've seen it now, how the global power that we see in, in prophecy and revelation can come about, right? Because of this global pandemic, we've seen the reach of powerful institutions, international institutions, and how they can affect our daily lives. And so it really gives us some insight about how end-time prophecy really can play out. And oftentimes we might read some of those prophecies and think, but how does, how does the whole world do that? But now we've seen how the whole world can be made to do something. For the first time ever, we have seen an alignment among governments of the world towards a unified global strategy that has effectively changed the lives of almost everyone on the planet. You know, and, and, and some of this, depending on our, our, our view and our understanding of what's going on, we may say, well, it's not all that bad. These are good things. But even if you think that, it's incredible to think that globally those changes have been applied. I mean, all around the world. Something that we never thought could happen maybe 12 months ago. And then I would add to, this, to that, that the decisions that have been made about the pandemic and our response and how we should cover our faces and, and so on and, and have social distancing and limit the opening of businesses. And you just think of all the things we've experienced. Those decisions were not made by elected individuals. I mean, you realize that, right? The politicians, lock, stock, and barrel, handed it over to the experts. Unelected individuals. Now, you could say, well, they had the oversight of government. That's not the same, is it? Because at least with our politicians, we know what kind of dirty, rotten dogs we're getting, don't we? Because they've been through an electoral process, and they've slung mud at one another, and they've seen, we've seen the worst, and we pick the worst of all the evils. No, the best of all the evils. Are you sure it's not the worst of all the evils? But nonetheless, at least we've had some scrutiny. Anybody hear of a Dr. Fauci before all of this began? I didn't. I mean, if you maybe you were into medical stuff and you knew the people in the CDC, I guess you might have. I never heard of him. And some of these guys on the World Health Organization, I don't even know who they are now. But they are making decisions. World Health Organization, just what, yesterday, the day before, said the, the pandemic may be over in two years. Two years. What happened to flattening the curve? It'll just take, you know, 15 days, 45 days just to flatten the curve. So we have powerful individuals, elites, if you want to call them that, making decisions for the entire world. If history has taught us anything, right, it has taught us that when the power of the many is placed in the hands of the few, 
it turns out really bad for the many, for the average man and woman in the street. This is dangerous, and we are forgetting our history. So, is our civilization advancing and improving? Glass half full person, is it? Put a, put a crack in that glass. And we've yet to see the end of all these changes, unfortunately. But what we know from Scripture is that without God's intervention, man's civilizations trend towards decline and destruction. More than ever, at least from my perspective, the words of the Apostle Paul are even more relevant than they were just, what, 12 months ago? In reading Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, because I think it, it, it just kind of helps to make us think a little bit more. We've heard some of these scriptures before, and it's easy for us to just know what's coming next. But Paul says this, he says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. With eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the spirit within us, a foretaste of the future glory. Even though we have that, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. I just really like the way he ends that there. Our full rights. You know, we've had lots of talk, haven't we, in the, in the media and social media and so on about rights and civil rights. These are the rights that we really want. These are the rights that are important. Full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Anybody want a new body? Only about half of you? Okay, I'm looking at some of you. You need a new body. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you can talk, Matt. We all want that new body. We long for that new body. But this old one to be taken off put in the closet, burned in the fire, done away with. And it's a powerful image, isn't it? And it's one that we know that is true. And Paul's writing how many years ago? Thousands of years ago. And he's still relevant. Perhaps more relevant. Because this whole world is groaning, would you get these humans off me? Right? You get this rule of mankind off the creation. We are in a womb. We're in a womb. That's what Paul is telling us, isn't it? 
The whole creation is groaning, waiting for the birth. So if we are going to be born, then that means we are in a womb. This whole world is a womb. This blue planet, swaddled in the darkness of space, is a womb. This is a place where we do all of our growing, our maturing. And hopefully, we are being made ready, right? We're being made ready for the world that we haven't even imagined yet. A world that we want to be born into. A world of light and color, of power and of love. I remember when my boys were born, I remember the nurse bringing Joseph around the side so we could see him. Eyeballs like this, just, what just happened? And then Benjamin, different personality, eyes closed, yelling. Put me back. And, you know, it's probably just as well we don't remember that moment, isn't it? But it... We experienced it. And what must that have been like with these bursts of light and color and, and sounds that are no longer muffled but clear and sharp and, and were cold. What is cold for crying out loud? We've been warm all this time. What a shock to the system it must have been to be born into this world. And so we have to think about that. Joyously thinking about that. We think and look toward being born into the world to come. A real world. Not the shadow lands that Lewis calls this, this world. The world that God has prepared for us. And all of us, even those that do not know God, even those that are lost in sin and darkness in this world, in this life, even those people are desperately searching for what we know to be true built into our DNA. It is really written into our DNA. We are made for more than this world. As we know, as we're coming up to this time of Feast of Tabernacles, we're, we're reminded that this is not our home. And we'll look for another country, another world to be born in. Paul just said it perfectly, didn't he? He said, for we know that all creation has been groaning and the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And I bet you he thought that that would happen sometime in his lifetime or maybe sometime just after, and here we are 2,000 years later. Do you think the birth pains are stronger than they were then? They really are. And we as believers also groan, even though... We have the Holy Spirit within us, a foretaste of future glory. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Think about this. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about it. When we are first started, anybody remember that part? We're a single cell, aren't we? A fertilized single cell. That's where we first start. And we are embedded in the, the, the inside lining of our mother's womb. How big, if we could have thought about it, 
How big was the womb? It's huge. I mean, how many cells are in a, in a womb? And we're just one tiny cell. We could have thought to ourselves, this is a massive place. We'll never fill this place. And yet we do. And yet we do. That little cell starts to grow. Starts to grow a spine, and a head, a brain, arms, and legs, and the rest of the body, and feet, hands. And of course, as, as we know from our you know, science books, the biology books, even when all those parts together, we're still tiny. And the rest of the time, we are spent getting bigger and bigger, stronger and stronger. And what happens? The womb gets smaller and smaller, doesn't it? Stands to reason. We begin this process of gestation. And we can hear things from the outside from time to time. We can see some, some light, some shadows. There's something outside of the womb. And as we grew in safety and comfort of that womb, we oddly enough start to become less comfortable. And so does our mother. The place that was so big at the beginning now starts to press down on us at every side. We are pushed and we kick against the confines of this ever-constricting space pushing more and more against this place that's nurturing us and protecting us. I remember seeing some live video of the ultrasound of my boys. And they could kick at the womb and push. And of course, they kicked at each other as well. Saw that on, on live screen right there. But we push even against this protecting, nurturing place. And the place that is designed for us to grow in starts to become a threat to us. It starts to become a threat. Even though we're sustained by this place, we are now become at risk. If we are left in the womb too long, what would happen? We would die. And what else would happen? A mother would die. And it just brings to life, doesn't it, when we think about this, what Paul is saying, the whole creation is groaning. Get these babies out of me. For us to be born. We reach a point when we outgrow our womb. That's basically it, isn't it? We reach a point when we are too large for this space to hold us. And it's time that we're born. That's what Paul's saying. That's what he's asking us to think about. And to think about that in our spiritual life. Where we are in Christ Jesus. That there will come a day, both in our own physical bodies, right? As we grow and age, we realize this body is not keeping up with what we want to do. So this body can be replaced, or we want it to be replaced. But then this world 
at large. We are actually outgrowing the world. You ever thought of it that way? We're outgrowing this world. When we look around and we see things in society that are not right, as Art was talking about, when we see the trouble that is in the world and, and, and how people have forgotten God's way, but we are still holding on to them. We're outgrowing the world. It's becoming too small for us. I don't say that from an arrogant standpoint. That, that's Christ working in us. That's the only way we can do that. It's the only way that we grow is from the nurturing of our mother. So it's not in us, but it is nonetheless still a fact. The more that we start to become like Christ Jesus, the more the womb of this world becomes too small for us to live. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. That sounds like being in the womb, doesn't it? You could imagine what that's like being constricted and hard-pressed on every time, on every side. We kick at that pressure. We push back. And that of itself is beneficial for us. And we, we learned this uh, you know, with, with our boys because of how they were born. They didn't have some of that. And so they had to have some physical therapy after they were born to strengthen the muscles that should have been developed in the womb by pushing against the sides of the womb. So we, spiritually speaking, are pushing against the world, strengthening us, building toughness in us, endurance, the ability to overcome in Christ Jesus. Because, of course, we can only do that with him. He said, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus may be manifest in, manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. We groan when we see the world around us. If we don't, that's a sign that something's wrong. When we see corruption, and death in this world, we, we long to get out of this constricting womb, this narrowing womb. Do we see that there is no way that we can survive as a civilization, as individuals in this world? We have to recognize that. Art said earlier, I think, not to be conformed to this world to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Has anybody found that to be easy? I've always found that to be hard. That is a hard thing to do, to be transformed and be prepared and get ready for the life beyond this womb. The way of man, 
The way of this world, the way of civilization of man is death. But the way of Christ Jesus is life and peace. If we see these things, if we can see the difference, and we know to choose the right, then we are maturing and aching to be born. Paul continues to encourage us further down in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And that of itself is a really fascinating connection with growing in the womb. Because the rate of transformation of a baby in utero is phenomenal. It's literally changing its biology every day. This rapid change of growth and maturity. And it's just like what Paul has said here. We're being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. But the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Those things that are just outside of the womb, but just on the other side of this, this barrier, whatever it is, they are the real things. And the things that we see in the womb, they're temporary, right? We are going to be <laughs> born out of this thing. We're not in here forever. We need to be prepared for what's outside. To us, right now, it looks like dim lights and movement. Maybe our mother's, you know, dancing in the living room sometime and shaking us around. Or the voice, the muffled voice of our father speaking to our mother or speaking to us through the womb. We're in that place. We have to endure. He says we have to endure it. But waiting and, and, and growing and maturing in this final trimester leads us to this weight of glory. Telling us to hold fast unto what we have. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10 and verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. What is that day? It's D-Day, isn't it? Delivery day. The day of our deliverance. The day when we will finally be born. Now, many of this world will tell us we are crazy. We're just totally crazy. Are oh, you one of those Christians? You believe that there's life after this world? It reminds me of that parable. You guys heard of the parable of the two babies in the womb? Ever heard of it? Floats around the internet from time to time. 
pretty interesting. Well, I'll read it for you. Parable of the two babies in the womb. The first baby asks the other, do you believe in life after delivery? And the second baby said, why, of course. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what we will be later. Nonsense, said the first. There's no life after delivery. What would that life be? I don't know, but there will be more light there than here. Maybe we'll walk on our legs and eat from our mouths. The doubting baby laughed. This is absurd. Walking is impossible. And eat with our mouths, that's ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition. Life after delivery is to be excluded. I think there is, or rather it says, the second baby held his ground. I think there is something, and maybe it's different than it is here. The first baby replied, no one has ever come back from there. <laughs> delivery is the end of life, and after delivery, it is nothing but darkness and anxiety, and it takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the twin, but certainly we will see mother, and she will take care of us. Mother? The first baby guffawed. You believe in mother? Where is she now? The second baby calmly and patiently <coughs> tried to explain. She's all around us. It is in her that we live. Without her, there would not, not be this world. Ha! I don't see her. It's only logical, then, that she doesn't exist. To which the other replied, Sometimes. When you're in silence, you can hear her. You can perceive her. I believe there is a reality after delivery. And we are here to prepare ourselves for that reality when it comes. Pretty cool, isn't it? This parable has been attributed to a gentleman by the name of Henry J. Newen. And he was, interestingly enough, a Catholic priest. And he lived from 1932 to 1996. He got something right. It's a great parable. And I think it adds to what we've been talking about. To what the Apostle Paul is telling us. We're in the womb. And we're in this womb together. We're all in this womb together. We're a bunch of multiples, if you think about it. Not twins. Not quadruplets, but I don't know what the term is for billions. But billions? We're all in this womb together. I think the, uh, the highest recorded multiple birth is eight. That, something like that, eight. Who would want to give birth to eight babies? Or carry eight babies? I mean, I don't even want to give birth to one baby. But that must have been a chore. And then the chore afterwards? You'd never finish changing diapers. Just from one to the next. But as challenging as that is, that is nothing 
to what God has prepared for the day of delivery. In Isaiah, we find something that is just remarkable. And I know I've gone here before, but it's just so powerful to me. In Isaiah chapter 66, we we start to see God's plan for this womb in the earth. And it's revealed in its fullest manifestation. And it's really more amazing than anything we could have conceived. No pun intended. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you would build? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist by him, says the Lord. So firstly, we asked ourselves that question, where are we going to build a house for God? You know, Solomon, David wanted to build a house for God. (laughs) You're going to build a house for me? We're living in a tiny little womb. I mean, the perspective of this is, is kind of ridiculous. We're going to build a house for God. That's like a baby in the womb saying they're going to build a house for their father. It was their father that put them there in the first place. You going to build a house for him? We going to make a place for God inside this tiny little womb? I don't think so. We have no idea how much more powerful our Father is than we, do we, when we're in the womb. We don't even really have a concept of who our Father is. We hear this voice that's different from the voice of the mother. That's all we know. So are we really going to build a house for God? John tells us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is We read all the scriptures and we learn about God and and that is good, but we are just hearing his voice muffled from the other side of the womb by in comparison to what we will see and understand on that day. Through Christ Jesus, who entered the womb of this world to tell us and show us the way by which we can be born into the world So turning back to Isaiah chapter 66, he says, But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. And then dropping down to verse 5, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, let the Lord be glorified. And said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But they shall be ashamed. You know, it's time and time again we see this. In the scriptures, in in the lives of Christians. 
that we see people that think they do God a favor, that think they're doing God's work by casting out those that are truly trembling at his word. That is often so, that's happened so often. They are hated. They are scoffed at. That they don't understand that the rest of the world does not understand what God is doing. But Isaiah says that God will bring his judgment. He will bring his judgment on those. That reject him, but try and do things in his name. He says there's a sound of the noise from the city. A voice from the temple. The voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemy. But then Isaiah switches gears and he gets to the point of what this this passage in my mind is about. He goes into verse 7. He says, Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Any moms wish that that had happened? That would be the perfect delivery, wouldn't it? Who is being born here? It is the arrival of the Savior. God's Son coming into this world to then make a way for us to be born. And that can start to get a little convoluted, especially to maybe those that are listening online might not heard this before. But this is the same Son, the same male child that is referred to in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This civilization ends all civilization and will never end itself. This is the last civilization that will be on the earth. And it will endure forever. Upon the throne of David. And over his kingdom. To order it. And establish it. With judgment and justice. From that time forward. Even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Will perform this. So this might get a little confusing. As I said. Because we have the birth. Into this world. Of the son of God. And yet we've been talking a birth out of this world at the same time. Because from inside the womb, we don't have the right perspective. So that's why it can get a little confusing. When the Son of God was born into this world, born as a human being, just as we are, he was in fact being inserted into the womb of this world, just like we are. And he was the first to outgrow this womb. He was the first. That's why Paul calls him the firstborn amongst many brethren. He was the first to be born into the life to come. But more than that, think about this. Before Christ Jesus entered into this world and made a way for us, there was no way for us to be born. There was no opening by which we could be born. There was no 
way out. And what we already said earlier was that if we do not get born out of the womb, we die. That was our estate. That was where we were before Christ Jesus came to open the way. He opened the way for the rest of us to be born. In fact, that's what Isaiah is about to tell us in the next verse. In Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I, who caused delivery, shut up the womb, says your God? Well, we know the answer to that. This is the promise. This is what Paul has been telling us about. This is taking place. And this looks forward to a time when this takes place. When the groaning of the earth will finally lead to the birth of the children of God. He has made this world a place for us to grow and develop. Mature. It's a womb in which we are living. And when we are ready to be born... He's not going to hold us back. He has promised to bring us all together at once. We will be born together as a nation born at once. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. We know this so very well. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has, been, has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O grave, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's another delivery term, isn't there? Labor. Is a mother's labor at the time of delivery in vain? No. Because that effort and all of that work and turmoil and pain and labor is to bring forth the child. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And we know full well, you ladies that have had babies know much more than I do what that's like. That that labor to bring forth that child and it's painful. And how painful that can be. But we've all been in labor. Even us guys have been in labor. Because every single one of us has been born. 
and we have all gone through labor. And I'm grateful that we don't remember it. Because we're getting squished and squashed and probably feeling like the life is going to get squished right out of it as we're being born. But all of that is part of a natural process. It's expelling fluid from the lungs so that when we come out, we can breathe and live in this totally new world that really does exist beyond the womb. We have all been in labor. So that imagery continues, doesn't it, in the spiritual birth that we will go through. And the nearer we get to birth, the more pressure and pain we will feel. So maybe we can be more glass half full, right? When we have our aching backs and you know our aching joints and our eyesight and all those challenges that we have and that we worry about, we're getting closer to being born. The more pain and the more discomfort we endure. And then comes the rejoicing. And what rejoicing that will be. Jesus told us this in John chapter 16 and verse 20. He says, most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. No longer remembers all of that pain. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, he says. I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And your joy no one will take. He's waiting there on the other side of our delivery, of our labor as we are born. Isaiah says back in chapter 66 and verse 10, after this nation has been born at once, he says, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. But thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. You know, Steve, during the prayer requests, talked about remembering to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is why. Because when that peace comes, we will have a part of it. We will have that peace like a river. The glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed. And on her sides you shall be carried and be dandled on her knees. As one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. And you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. After we are born. And it's interesting, isn't it, that even after we are born into the kingdom of God, the family of God, we're still dandled on his knees. We're still his kids. And we still have a lot to learn 
we've just been born, we will have a lot to learn. But this is encouraging. When you go through this life, we go through our labor. We go through all this work and trouble and maturity and development and we feel the world squishing us sometimes as we, in Christ Jesus, get too big for the world. And again, not in arrogance, not in some kind of prideful, but it's Christ Jesus growing and developing in us. This is where we are. We are in the womb of the world. And as we grow and mature and become more and more like Christ, we will outgrow this womb, just as he did. This world will become small to us, just as it did for Jesus. There's a powerful song that I've been listening to probably for like two weeks now. You guys ever get a song in your mind and you just, you can't get it out? It's a great song and you like it and you sing it and you play it over and over again and it's still in my mind. And it goes with, with this message and maybe that's where the message came from, I don't know. But it's been on my mind all this week and there's a part of the song excuse me, that sums up a lot of what I've been saying and, and what we're experiencing in this life. The song is called Come Back Soon, and it's no surprise, it's by Andrew Peterson, one of my favorite uh, singer-songwriters. He says this, We wake in the night in the womb of the world. We beat our fists on the door. We cannot breathe in this sea that swirls. So we groan in this great darkness. Are we alone in this great darkness? If nature's red in tooth and in claw, then it seems to me that she is an outlaw. Because every death is a question mark at the end of the book of a beating heart. And the answer is scrawled in the silent dark on the dome of the sky in a billion stars. But we cannot read these angel tongues. And we cannot stare at the burning sun. And we cannot sing with these broken lungs. So we kick in the womb. And we beg to be born. Deliverance. Deliverance. Oh Lord. Beg to be born. We're begging to be born, aren't we? We want to be clothed upon with that new body. We want to be born into the kingdom of God groaning within ourselves for the day of delivery, waiting for our deliverance. And we, we pray. We should earnestly pray more and more, as the scripture tells us, how long, O Lord, faithful and true, how long till you come back and bring this day of delivery? And if I may borrow a concept from C.S. Lewis, this is precisely what Christianity is all about. This world is a great womb. We are the unborn children of God growing inside. And there's a rumor going around the womb. You may have heard it. That all of us, one day, are going to.